they had a group of students who were taking a test. And those that procrastinated on the test and didn't study, those who were self-compassionate, by the time they came around to the second test, they began to study earlier. But those who were self-critical, who beat themselves up about the fact that they didn't study for the first test, also procrastinated for the second test. That all of this shaming activity that we do is not helpful. Now, perhaps we needed it when we were children, but when we got that critical voice from our parents, and I got that from my parents, that was the way they were raised. Our brain actually wires to God that way, and we think that our Heavenly Father is just like our earthly father, or earthly parents. And it's totally untrue, but since your brain has wired that way, you believe that God is angry with you if you fail, that he's angry with you if you've made a mistake. But you're wrong. And you continue to play that voice in your head because you think that's the voice of God, but it's not the voice of God. And I want to show you that today because I want us to leave here today a little bit lighter and more compassionate with ourselves and with others. Well, I want to tell you a story of a mistake that I made, and I'm hoping that while I'm speaking, you'll be able to think of the mistake that you have made. And then at the end, we're going to do some declarations to move beyond beating ourselves up over our mistakes. Well, I finished my neurosurgical residency years ago, and I moved to San Diego. And I was excited to be there, and I met a surfer, and he said to me, dude, that's the way surfers talk. <clears throat> it's just the way they talk. Dude, you have got to meet my cousin Lisa. I said, be glad to meet your cousin Lisa. Uh, where is she? He said, well, she's in Chicago. I said, oh. I said, I don't want to go to Chicago. He said, dude, her father's famous. I said, oh, Chicago. <laughs> well, I mean, it's only halfway across the country. It's not Maine or anything. I mean, it's, it's, it's Chicago. So I went to Chicago. I had a, worked out some consulting there, and I met Lisa, and sure enough, she was cute and thought things were going really well. I went out two or three more times, and then I remember when she picked me up in the airport, I just didn't have feelings for her. I just didn't, it just wasn't there. And that bothered me because on paper, um, everything looked great and she had a famous father. So <laughs> I was thinking, I, I, you know, this should be working. And I remember I would try to back up and say, you know, maybe we should sort of slow things down. I'm not sure about this. And she would start to cry and and I would feel, oh boy, I, I, it sort of accused me of being like all the other guys. And well, I'm a surgeon now, I'm not like all the other guys. And I, I just kind of, she was just kind of reeling me in. And, but I was, you know, fighting this. I didn't, I didn't like what was happening. I, so when I went back to San Diego, I did what single people do if you're in a jam. You call a married person because they know stuff, right? They know <clears throat> the secret codes and the handshakes and whatever it is that <laughs> they've taken extra classes. They know something about women and 
So I called my friend and I said, uh, you know, I, I like this girl and I just don't have feelings for her. And she goes, oh, you young people are all the same. Feelings, schmeelings. <laughs> Who needs feelings? They're all going to go away in six months anyway. <laughs> I said, ooh, I said, uh, still, I'd, I'd like my six months. Can I just... <laughs> He said, okay, well, you know what, you probably, you know what, you kids these days, you never make a commitment. You're, especially you medical students, you're always so busy. If you commit to her, the feelings will come. So I said, well, I'm a scientist. I had never tried that. That, brilliant. I thought, well, that's the only thing I haven't tried. And so I uh, went back to Chicago and asked her to marry me. Yeah, I heard all the women groaning, yeah. <laughs> Assuming that the feelings were going to come, let me just tell you something about doctors. <laughs> Nobody gets all the gifts, right? <laughs> right, so I was an instant hero in this family, and sure enough, there was a lot of fanfare, and the feelings were there, I thought, and everything was great, and... She sold her car, she quit her job, and she moved to San Diego. And I picked her up in the airport and saw her coming down the jetway, and I, the feelings weren't there. But I did whatever you do to try to get the feelings. We went to dancing lessons and counseling and whatever. But as time went on, I, first of all, the first symptom I noticed was I was no longer able to eat Mexican food, which <laughs> in San Diego is very important. <laughs> and then I couldn't really eat any spices at all. I wasn't able to, to, to anything spicy, any pepper, any onions, nothing. I was down to bread and tofu and <laughs> soy milk, I think. And I felt this mass in my stomach, and I knew that I had a tumor, because I'm a doctor. And I knew that, immediately I knew that there was something, that, and it was bad, and probably I would be dead in three months, and I wouldn't have to tell her to go back to Chicago. I actually had a scope, I had an endoscopy. I went, I went to the gastroenterologist, and he assured me that I had no tumor, but asked me if I had any stress in my life. I said, stress? No. No, I, I can't think of anything. Well, I got back home, and then I started to wonder, what could it have been this relationship? Not very insightful, I know, but again, not everyone gets all the gifts. Well, I realized that I'd lost 10 pounds and that either I was going to have to break up with her or I was going to perish. I was slowly, I could eat nothing. <laughs> and so I did ultimately tell her that I didn't have the feelings for her and that uh, it was over. And she was angry. And so was her mother. And it was ugly. And... I felt this condemnation raining down on me. Now, I want to go through sort of how I recovered from that, 
But before I do, I want you to think of a mistake that you have made, because I am not the only one in this auditorium that has made a mistake that you beat yourself up for, a mistake that has hurt other people, a mistake that you still think about. Maybe it was for you as a financial decision you made. Maybe it was a, a relationship. Maybe it was something, a car accident, or, or who knows what it was, but you know what it was. And I want you to think about that because I want to go through some steps of how we recover from failure because it has everything to do with self-compassion. It has everything to do with how we view God. It has everything to do with developing the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives, first of all, toward ourselves, and then toward other people. You see, self-criticism shifts your brain into a self-inhibition. It actually shuts you down for ever wanting to try again. And so many of us are sitting on the couch now with a remote in our hand, watching other people on television have adventures and do great exploits, and you're afraid to try again. And after you walk out of here today, I want you to be energized to try again, to have compassion on yourself, because self-compassionate people get themselves back on track faster. They are not afraid to make mistakes because they know that they're not going to hear that condemning, self-punishing voice. And so they're actually able to look at themselves and their mistakes and to improve versus having to hide from any mistakes because they're so worried about that condemning voice. Well, the first thing that we need to do is we need to recognize that God is not angry with us. And the relationship with God, I believe, takes precedence over the relationships with everyone else. Our first thought is to try to fix it with everyone else, to try to, you know, how can I please them? But we need to get our relationship with God tuned up first. Some of us actually don't understand how God feels about us because when you have made a mistake, you believe that God is as angry with you as everyone else and that those voices in your head are the voice of God. I want to put up Isaiah 49, verse 13 to 16. Just to get a little insight of how God feels about you, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Isn't that how we feel? Can a woman forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. God has not forgotten you. He is not the one that's giving that condemning self-critical voice. Well, to get tuned up with God, I think the first thing that we need to do is confession. I believe confession is one of the most powerful forces on this earth. 
It is honesty. It is coming to grips, not making excuses, and that's something that self-compassion also does. It makes us more honest. Well, you know, with my situation, I can say there probably were some signals. I believe that I was hearing the voice of God before I made my mistakes and continued to make other mistakes. And perhaps in your situation, you might have heard God's voice as well. But like I did, you chose to ignore it. Or you decided to listen to the voices of others, people you wanted to please, and you, you didn't listen to the voice of God. Now that would be something you would want to confess. Because when God speaks to us in that still small voice, and we recognize we have quenched that voice. I don't know about you, but I want to hear that voice again next time. I want it to help me stay out of trouble next time. And it's a really good idea if you recognize that you heard that voice and didn't pay attention to it to confess that. And the beautiful thing about confession is that we know in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when I have made a mistake, when I have failed, when people are angry with me, I feel like I could use a good cleansing. I could use forgiveness. You see, because God is just and he can be just because Jesus paid that price for our sins. He paid the price so you don't have to keep beating yourself up trying to pay the price for your sins. Jesus paid it for you. And you can confess and you can be forgiven. It takes some humility. It takes some determination sometimes to confess and to receive that forgiveness. And for the big things, there's a verse in James, James 5.16, that says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. In my case, I had some physical issues, but some of this healing, I believe, is, is psychological. That if we can't get over it, we need to get with someone and say, would you, would you listen to me confess this? Because I'm not seeming to get anywhere just, just confessing this to God on my own. Would you help me would you hear my confession? And this verse says there's enough power in that to heal. And I don't take that lightly. So confessing, honestly confessing. Yes, there were some things there were things I did wrong. I really hurt her. There's no question about that. Now I didn't mean to, and I bet that you didn't mean to hurt the people that you hurt when you made your mistake. But the fact is I did hurt people. Now, when we talk about self-compassion or self-forgiveness, it always comes up, yes, we need to forgive ourselves. And doctors will say that all the time because when we make mistakes, and I'm telling you about a relational mistake, but certainly I could tell you about surgical mistakes, and I've got some in the book. To get forgiveness, we say, oh, we should just forgive ourselves. Well, I'm not so sure that I have the authority to do that. And I'm not sure that any of us actually have that authority. That, that only God has the authority to forgive you and to forgive me. And he's made a provision for that. But once he has forgiven you, 
You have been forgiven by the highest court in the universe. And you have got to forgive yourself because if you don't, that means your standard is higher than God's. And that's a very dangerous position to be in. You need to work at this. This is not easy. This is not second nature. In fact, it's not your habit. Most of us in this room have a habit of reviewing these offenses and, and belittling ourselves and keeping us from trying again and from being the person that God made you to be to fulfill the destiny, the purpose for which he has put you on this earth because we are afraid of failing again. Let it not be so.